It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HR recruiters, and one actor, as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. And today, Jeremy, we're going to continue our talk about uh, teams and making people work together better. And we're going to look at uh, weaving group interactions at work. Uh, So you want to give us a little bit of a parameter about that? Yeah, so what we have today, we have something special. I just put in the chat um, this book. uh, It's called Turning Intuition into Science, uh, Dr. Deborah Peck, who's here today. And if if anyone here is on our email list, you remember months and months ago, Deb actually allowed our uh, our CBOC members and everyone on our, our mailing list and in the Iowa psychology community to help determine the cover. We all voted on the cover for the book. And this is what it landed on is the cover. So I have this. I have the Kindle version. And Dr. Peck was also nice enough to send me. Oh, look, Rich has his too. Um, a signed, a beautiful signed uh, hard copy. So I have that as the one that I won't be making notes in. And I keep that one as a prized possession. I did pull up the the Kindle version, um, and what I'll do throughout as we start to talk is I'll share my screen to show some of the graphs um, that are in you know any, any format of the book that you get. And what it is, it's organizational network analysis. And what for our theme for this month, we've talked a lot about conflict between groups, conflict. Uh, within groups. And here we're talking about really how do we weave everything in, hence the title of today's show, which is the Team Tapestry Weaving Group Interactions at Work. So Dr. Peck and I, uh, we actually, we just couldn't, because we, a lot of our listeners are in the IO psychology field or or businesses, I do want to share a second about a project that uh, Deb and I just finished because people like to hear these examples. So we, we worked with a firm and it was a uh, it was interesting to, to say the least. <laughs> uh, we worked with a firm to help them. There, it was an employee-owned company, but it's restricted shareholder status. So they had to actually determine who they would let in as shareholders and as leaders for the company. So Deb and I did a lot, a lot, a lot of analysis. We used 360 assessments. We did. We interviewed four people that worked with each of the candidates for shareholder status. And we used judgment assessments. We used a variety of personality assessments. We used a lot of Hogan. And through all this, we crunched everything and were able to pull nice executive reports for each candidate to help the company decide who they might select. And we had ongoing conversations with the leadership there. They had a lot of questions, naturally, you know, um, their first time doing this. Um, And the next step is we go into the coaching aspect for emerging leaders within that particular organization 
and those who may have been just on the cusp of a recommendation and but needed some of that development and also those who are being selected and other leaders helping them through that executive coaching aspect so the and and Deb's book uh, I'm going to plug this hard the entire time number one best it's a be, number one bestseller in consulting nonprofit organizations and charities and business organization and learning I've recommended this to to clients of mine so I, I want to turn it over to Deb now to speak a little bit about what it is and how you came about this in terms of your passion and really what it can do to help organizations. Okay. I didn't have any pre-warning, so I'm just winging this one. <laughs> I did ask Deb at the last minute, like absolute last minute. It just goes like, hey, here's the topic for today. Why don't you join us? This is perfect. So go ahead. Well, do, is anyone familiar with organization network analysis? Does that ring any bells? I'm, okay, good. A few of you. So the way I like to explain it is it's really making graphical visual representations of how the work is really done in an organization. So if you think about the org chart, which is very, it's a functional structure of the organization, but the connections on the org chart are not really how people develop uh, relationships or interact with each other. And so what organization network analysis does is give you visual displays. That's perfect. Thank you, Jeremy. It gives you the visual display. So the, the map, they're, they're called maps, the graphical display on the right of that org chart is really how that organization was interacting. That's just an example. And that's a very simple example. Uh, the other way to kind of differentiate how you normally think about an organization, especially in IO psychology, we're kind of known to look at individuals. How can you help an individual uh, grow, develop leaders in particular and run the organization? And I'm not saying exclusively, but oftentimes that's where the focus is. And so human capital aspects of the organization, which you need. This is called the social capital of the organization. So it's how people develop relationships, interrelate, uh, share information, knowledge, collaborate, uh, share their expertise, any of that sort of thing. And I can analyze those kinds of areas and how people relate in those areas. So the way I do it is I combine the social capital with the human capital. And I always say that the social capital or ONA turbo charges the human capital. So that's about as much of a nutshell as I can come up with <laughs> to explain it. <laughs> it's, it's a great start. Tom, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you because I know you have some good questions. And by all means, we can still do our normal open mic format. So if you have questions, please raise your hands or, or contributions. So we'll continue there. But now we've got a really nice uh, runway here. Tom? Thank you very much, Jeremy. And welcome, Dr. Peck. It's a great honor to have you here. Um, and I can't wait for your book. I guess I wasn't on the list of getting a signed copy. <laughs> but hey, maybe we'll take care of that later. Um, 
So right off the bat, I want to ask you some questions. Maybe it's more about how this breaks down, but I've actually had experience. And to me, when I look at that chart, it's about paths of communication. And I know I've worked in organizations where I was allowed to communicate with my direct supervisor, but anybody above that, I couldn't actually communicate unless I had approval. And most of the time it was like, I want to get this message to somebody upstairs. Well, it's got to go through this person. If they think it's a value, then it goes to the next person who, if they think it's a value, it goes to, and it gets much more complicated. Uh, but the chart you show so some, shows some direct links in communication, I'm assuming. So could you talk a little bit about how that regular organizational chart can sometimes break down those paths of communication and stall organizations from moving forward? Definitely. So um, another one, and Jeremy, I don't know if you can find it, but there's a, a difference of, um, it's it's not this one, but I can explain this one, um, It where it compares basically an org chart where it shows the lines of the org chart and then talks about the difference between uh, hierarchy and what we call emerging networks or these informal networks. And that's what ONA is coming up with. It's basically informally, how, how are you um, even an informal leader? So to your point, Tom, um, not being able to get access to the hierarchy decision maker, well, there might be some informal influencers in the lower levels that you're already connecting with and they're basically, they could be like a power player in some of the networks. And there's not just one network that we look at, but the way you describe that, I would say that's probably the work network. And the work network is very transactional. So it's a low trust. It's basically, this is who I have to work with. Doesn't necessarily mean I want to, or I trust them, or I really spend a lot of time with them. But I look at that as the baseline. That's where the organizational knowledge begins. And so that's like my baseline. And then when I look at other networks like the social network, the expertise, the innovation network, the strategy network, then those go up the trust ladder that I, I use. And I can correlate those and compare it to what you're talking about. So I can decipher, oh, it looks like there's maybe a challenge or a stop for this individual, but watch over here how they're communicating with others to get around maybe that um, that challenge that's stopping them. Well, um, <laughs> you used the T word, uh, trust, um, yeah. which, which, you know, really does hold us back. So any advice on how, you know, especially if you're facing one of those roadblocks, how you can build trust to try and move to some of those other models? Well, my dissertation was on trust. And it was, <laughs> so, and, and it's part of the reason that I found this, what I'm calling a technology or a method to look at an organization. And this is a diagnostic, by the way. So it it's just like, you know, if you think about an x-ray when you go into the doctor, it's very much like that, where a doctor, and they call me a business doctor, so I'm, I'm basically diagnosing the, the organization through these maps, which are like x-rays of the organization. 
And then, um, you know, you have to kind of understand how to read an x-ray. So that's my job, is to understand how to read those maps, interpret it for those organizations. And to your point, you know, how can you build trust or how can you get around that? That's the follow-on work that I do. So once I get an understanding of this organization and for the topic today, there's things called structural holes in these maps. And those are the ones I go after to weave the network. So there's a lot of organizations, there's a few in my book that show this, where there's a core network, but then there's these groups of dyads and triads on the periphery of the core. And depending on what the network is, that's telling me something about, well, are these people purposely disconnected? Are they not invited in, kind of to your point? Are they, uh, what is that doing to the organization? And I have a way to measure resiliency of the organization through this process as well. And those are kind of the telltale signs of an organization that maybe isn't as resilient as they could be. And so weaving those connections are important to build that resiliency in the organization. Well, I'd love to ask you because, you know, <laughs> well, Doc, sometimes the patient don't like the diagnosis. And, oh. and how, <laughs> how do you deal with organizations that you've done the analysis, you put your work out there and they're like, uh, I don't know if we really want to go down this path. I haven't had that many <laughs> that say it quite like that, but I've had some resistors, believe me. Um, Any way well, to get around them and get them on side? Well, it depends, right? So I had one situation not too long ago, in fact, where one of the main leaders of the organization, um, let, let me just say he was a negative leader. And so he immediately on the very first, first map that I brought up, started looking at people that he wanted to fire and picked them out and looked at who they were connected, yes. And it just, I was like, oh my gosh. And so I had to let them know, my work is not used for punitive measures. That is not what this is for. This is for to help you uh, with organizational health. And, and organizational effectiveness. Now that doesn't mean that there's not leaders and that's really kind of playing into the title, right? right? So intuitively, these leaders are so sure they know what's going on in an organization. And if you look at some of the maps and you see how many people are involved, you can't possibly know who everyone is connected to and the impact they may have. And so this is what this diagnostic does. I mean, there are, you know, um, basically by the time I map all the links that are possible in an organization, it gets into the thousands and sometimes even hundreds of thousands, depending on how many people are, are in the network that I measure. And so if they're kind of like, you know, I already know what's going on in my organization. I get that quite a bit. Um, or they're like, I don't really want to go down this path because it's telling me too much. Well, that's really an indication to me they're not an open-minded leader. It's probably not somebody I want to work with anyway. Very, very true. Uh, thank you very much for that. Jeremy, back to you. 
And to provide a visual and also to go back to your earlier question about you, how you had to get um, or you knew someone who had to get permission to speak to people in other levels. There's such an interesting story behind this particular graph. And Deb, I'm going to allow you to, to speak to it because there's a great story behind it. And for those of you listening to the podcast, um, you know, grab the book, you'll be able to, to, to see it, but I'll try to, I'll try to explain it. So think of, you know, you're looking, you're looking at a piece of paper and you've got a, a couple hundred spiders and the spiders are either triangles or circles and they're of different sizes and of different colors um, to represent different um, people within the organization. And all of these spiders are creating webs to compete with each other. So it's it's a crazy, crazy, crazy web. And there's an interesting thing, if I remember from um, when I was reading with that large uh, aqua circle deb. So do you want to share about that and then maybe go into a little bit more about where where your brain takes you with this particular um, weaving of the spiders? Yeah, actually, this is a very good um, story for what we're talking about. So this this is a um, actually a construction company with multiple operating uh, companies. So there's an enterprise level with the C-suite and the back-end office, and then there's five independent operating companies. Uh, it looks like there's a little bit more, but a couple of them are combined together. And so that's what the legend is, company A, B, and so on. And the red one is the, the C-suite, the corporate group. Uh, the CEO spends a lot of time and effort on engagement surveys. And at the time I took this, there were a lot of millennials joining, but they weren't staying. And it was very confusing to him. And he wanted to kind of understand. And one of and a lot of the data within the engagement survey indicated a communication problem. And whether they were being listened to or they were getting enough from their manager, anyway, it was surrounded around communication. And so he asked me, now I'd already done a full-fledged organizational network analysis. So this is like a, a subset of how to do that. And this was one question. And it was uh, some, and there were like, I think 800 employees that we sent it out to and about 550 responded that are represented in this map. And the question centered around um, who do you name, I think it was three to five people, I don't recall exactly, name three to five people that you really rely on for um, information about what's going on in the company. And uh, I didn't use the word trust because that's so uh, individual, you know, it's kind of, it can be loaded. So I tried to get around it, but basically who are you comfortable with and who do you rely on? And they responded and I did a whole bunch of, you know, algorithm stuff and that sort of thing. And ended up with this result that I put into the spreadsheet that produces these kinds of maps and uh, rank ordered everybody. And so the difference in sizes are used through a metric in the software and it and the different shapes are management and non-management. So the circles are non-management people and the 
triangles are management. And the different colors represent the different operating companies. So you can see they're clustered to their companies in the majority of cases. And corporate is kind of scattered throughout, and there's a couple of others. So by the time I presented this, and of course I knew who the person was, but I didn't know anything about that person. And I met with about 20 of the leaders and showed them this. And the CEO immediately said, I want to know who that is, especially since it was non-management. And he was absolutely convinced it was all going to be management people that were going to be the ones that people selected. And you can see that's not necessarily the case. And so I told him the name and there was like five or six people that at the same time blurted out, he's an intern. <laughs> and, and it was like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. <laughs> and the CEO just almost fell off his chair <laughs> and he's like, okay, now this is telling me that this is really going to give me some good insight into you know, what's really going on communication-wise in my organization. And so what he did, and I really give him a lot of credit, be, again, getting back to retaining millennials or new hires, he formed several roundtable groups of employees that had only been there for, from one to three years. I think it was three or four different roundtables. And he personally met with them and spent like two hours, answered their questions, gave them overviews and everything. They videotaped a lot of this information, put it on their employee intranet, and it really made a difference in kind of collaboration and just a feeling of belonging for these individuals. And they commented in that, in that respect, and it helped him with his engagement scores as well. Well, I, I hope that intern got a full-time job and a raise. <laughs> he did. He did. As a matter of fact, I even talked to him later, and, and he was just like, oh, that was great, man. Everybody knows who I am. <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of people on right now who would like you to come work with their companies and organizations. Um, <laughs> Linda Ann, let's go to you. <clears throat> Pardon me. So, you know, I love that analysis. I think it's so revealing. My question is um, how, if you do that with a company or a company has it done for them, however, how does that integrate with any of the current teams they may have structured for performing their work? You know, because you have those pods of people who are connecting or communicating, that doesn't mean they're working together. And so is there an influence on the teams? So that you say, okay, well, these people communicate well together. Let's see if they can work on teams together. Or is there some, what information do you take from that analysis that applies to their organizational function and structure? Well, it's almost like I've kind of set you guys up for some of these questions, but I haven't. So um, this is not in my book, as a matter of fact, but one of the stories that I did work with a very large healthcare company and it was a technology group within that, 350 people. And they did the, the initial overview of ONA, but then they had basically that same question, Linda. So they gave me a list of all their project teams, and I divided all of this up by project team. And you can use the same data and look at it from a project team perspective. And then I could demonstrate 
who within the project teams are they communicating, collaborating, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I can do it per the different maps too, but the focus was on the work network, of course. And what about even the connections between project teams, if that was important for whatever they were working on? So you can do it that way as well. Can I ask another question here? So given, like some teams are are going through and they're applying you know, agile project management or Six Sigma or Lean or something like that to help their teams function better. Does this supersede that or is it an integration into that process? No, I would say it's more a measure of is that working? Um, it would help them because you can you can look at just certain parts of the organization. You don't have to do the entire organization. I've done just a leadership team or you could do just a department, or you could uh, you could do just the project teams. I won't go into all the details of whether that's the right thing to do or not, but you could do that. And so then over time, you could take another snapshot. And if you made some changes, for some reason, you can measure the change through this data as well. Any other questions, Lynette? Just... Do you recommend particular training as an intervention to certain situ teams and, and situations? Oh, I do. Yeah. Depending on uh, what I uncover, um, I make all kinds of recommendations on uh, based on what I see or mm -hmm. what the context is very, very important. So, yeah, you know, initially all I have is data and I don't know anything other than I, I can tell you based on the behaviors and the interactions and things, what that means on the data. But let's, for instance, say, you know, I pick out key influencers or emerging leaders or something like that. Well, there's the context of that. Just because they're an influencer doesn't mean they're a positive influencer. They may be a negative influencer. And the only way I know that is by working with the client and kind of asking questions of them for them to fill in those gaps. And then based on, as I get to know the organization more, I can make direct recommendations. Sometimes those are things I can help them with and sometimes they're not. And maybe I have other associates that I could bring in to help with some of those. Thank you very much, Linda. And Rich, let's go to you. Yeah, I just have a question. So when you when you get this data and you're working with a client, does does the information go into like their HRIS system or something of that nature so that they have something actionable that they can track? No, no, it's it's not like that. Um, it's it it goes into a special software analysis system uh, that creates these graphical displays. It's even uh, even the surveys are designed very differently then you may think of a survey. And so I have to use even special software for that to gather that data. Great, thanks. I, I'm reminded of uh, in my OD class uh, the, for certification that I got, we had the, the simulation from Harvard uh, Business Publishing where they had something similar to this where uh, in the sense that it had these relationships and this, this matrix, it was about change it was a simulation of change um, management, right? Uh, so the, the organization was trying to adopt software, I think it was, 
but something right and and so it had these relationships of people who worked with people and then who were influencers of other people so this is very interesting and 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 i'm I'm really i'm going to dive into this book harder now (laughs) thanks well i i want to ask is is this software that you helped develop or is this something that that came off the shelf um no i did not help develop it um i it it's had its own evolution over time when I started this, which was in 2005, so I've been doing this quite a while, um, it, there was hardly anything available. And most of it was open source, but it's very academic. Right. And even though I am, you know, able to understand the academic stuff, it was still like, it's not going to give me what I want. I'm a business person too. My background is in data network engineering and leadership in technology. And so I was doing it for computer networks before. Now I do it for people networks. Computer networks, of course, don't have emotions and relationships. So trust isn't really there for computer networks. So it's more like a connect the dots kind of thing with that and architecting and understanding. But it was enough of a background for me to say, yeah, this is a good fit for me, and it's missing in IO psychology in particular, so maybe I can contribute to the field and, you know, bring the research uh, forward. Um, but it's the available tools were just not there, but there was one um, person that had developed more of a business. He came from business and that's really the the products that I use. He's got two software programs that he developed, and I use both of those, and that's what we'll see in the book. But since then, there's been a lot of vendors who have come out and come up with their own systems. Thank you very much for that. Laura, let's go to you. Hi there. My question is regarding using this type of analysis in predictive or future states. So if you're in a large organization that's looking at reorganizing itself, and so your relationships and your movement in your analysis is going to shift, say, in a six-month time frame, has there been any look at at using this maybe to help predict or help, you know, soften that transition or move that transition because you've already got that network analysis done to then move it to like an end state to help a business move to an end state? Does that make sense? It does. And I I did one of those in 2019. Ooh. So I worked with an organization um, that, long story, but it, it's a fire service organization. So I work with four different fire departments right now. And they love this stuff, by the way. But one of them in particular, because of the state retirement system, they had acquired a private um, fire service in 2005 and hired 90% of those firefighters. And it's now a municipal fire department. And of course that means they're in the state system. And it also means they all started at the same time and they're retiring at the same time. So next year, 64% of their workforce will be gone. And what I did starting in 2019 was take every year and they gave me a list of projected retirement dates. I don't have absolutes, but I had, you know, what was in the system as far as when they would drop. 
So they have like a three-year window. Once they drop, they don't have to retire exactly on that date. And so I made some estimates of who's retiring. I correlated it to their ranks and their um, basic their medical um, certifications. So some of them are very unique in that regard. And I projected it out 10 years. And I basically created a before and after of their culture in every one of those ascending years. But then what, what does this do to your organization and your culture just by looking at today and 10 years from now? Does that answer your question, Laura? Yes, that's really interesting. I appreciate that, to hear that example. And thanks for that question, Laura. Linda Ann, let's go to you. So I'm asking a question on behalf of Alexander today, and he's wondering how you're seeing the technology choices, such as Google Workspace um, over six, 365, and its impact on the youth engagement. And I'm I'm assuming that means how they engage it at work. Um, are you are you noticing anything relevant to that? Um, I haven't done anything specific in that regard. I've never had anybody raise that as a concern as far as how that's influencing work habits or if I'm understanding the question correctly. I did do something uh, with a manufacturing team that was concerned about um, how much they were using um, access to social media or anything like that. And so I toyed with a couple of analysis in that regard, but it it didn't really help them with anything as far as making any decisions. Doesn't mean you couldn't go there. You could certainly do that, but I don't have anything substantial that I can say, yeah, I've done this and compared it. But that doesn't stop you from doing it. You know, as I said before, I do this diagnostic and then I take it into the organization and say, give me any kind of data you have and I'll correlate it with these results and I'll help you understand. So my book talks a lot about comparing it to engagement surveys. Um, I've Right now, I'm, I'm going to correlate it with a behavioral assessment for an organization and try to pick out, you know, are there any behavioral characteristics that match up to the key influencers from a social capital perspective. So there's all kinds of ways that I can take other data and compare it to this. Thanks. Thank you for that. Jeremy, let's go back to you. I'm popping it here in the chat. Deb, can you share, how do people get a hold of you, um, your uh, website? You want me to just type it in? Is that what you mean? Or? No, I'll put it in the chat, but if you want to tell the podcast listeners. Okay, it's just... Uh, C-E-I-T-Y.com. Great. So I just put that in the chat for everyone. And I love, like, one of the things that sticks out most for me is where you say the ONA, it tells you what the white space is in the organizational chart, what's really happening, with what's really going on behind. I'm going to pull up another one of these maps because I think this goes to some of the things that we've been talking about this month in the, let me share my screen here, with our themes. And our themes, of course, have been conflict. And within that is communication. So this is an organization that had what they called a communication pro uh, problem. 
between sales and engineering. And one can only imagine that there might have been some conflict there, a little bit of uh, tense conversations. And for the podcast listeners, what we're looking at is we're looking at a diagram picture up top. You've got a small box, looks like uh, like the bases on a, on a baseball field. So you've got a, four diamond, four small squares in a diamond shape. And then on either side, you've got a large green circle or a green outline circle. And then on the right of that, you've got a purplish circle that is a little smaller. And within that, we've got, of course, all these nodes and all these webs um, in, in, interacting. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what this shows and what, because yeah, there's communication problems. Every organization, every person has some communication difficulties. And of course, if that's not handled, it leads into conflict. But is it really a communication problem with certain things in organizations? What is actually underlying? Oftentimes, you mentioned organization, you know, people say you're an organizational doctor, that's because you are, and that's what we do, because we have to diagnose and instead of just what's the symptom, what's the underlying problem so that the, the symptoms go away. Tell us about what's going on here with this particular map and how it discovered an underlying issue that if they would have said, okay, we're going to put everyone in communication training and do some leadership training, how that wouldn't have fixed what the real problem was. What happened here and what was the result? Yeah, this is really a good one for especially like even the weaving uh, of the organization also emphasizes the the purpose of context. So what what was going on? This was a um, uh, leading edge technology group that was growing, technology company that was growing, and they um, service the internet in, in different ways. So they had very, uh, like I said, leading edge technology. But this was taken during the uh, economic downturn. So this was like 2010. And that was severely affecting this organization, as you can imagine. And this company was also international. So uh, believe it or not, this represents about seven countries. Um, as well as just these two departments, which were the focus. And so what was going on, of course, was the, the sales team was trying to make money and, and develop products. And because of the economic downturn, you know, there was a lot, there were a lot of customers that were resisting or whatever was going on. And what started happening was that there was this conflict in communication. And to Jeremy's point, you could give them communication classes or whatever. Well, they did that before they found me. So they hired two different consulting companies and they had like a three-day training class and different things. So you can imagine the expense of bringing all these people internationally, you know, Japan and Australia, places like that, into a room for three days, the cost of that alone, and it didn't work. And so um, they found me, and I explained what I would do, and I could probably find the root cause of whatever this problem was. And I presented this, and there are, again, a room full of these leaders, including the two founders and the CEO. And I put up this map and it was like, this is 
this is what was going on. So that square in the middle is their product development team. And they were purposely designed, if anybody understands how some of this might work, where the salespeople come up with ideas or customer uh, requests or anything like that, and they put it into some form, they send it to the product development team. The product development team's job is to analyze the ROI for it. Is this going to make us money? Can we? Is this a repeatable product? Is this just a one-off? Should we even do it? That's their job. And then they give that to the engineering team to go off and make it or put it in, you know, develop it. Well, the way to look at this map, don't worry about these individual lines or even worrying about who it's connected to, but just look at the lines that are going across from the green to the pink or purple and the ones that are going into that product development group and the lines within each of the bubbles. A lot of people call this like the yarn map looks like a ball of yarn. So there was a lot of communication within both of their individual functions. There are some lines going to the product development team, but there's a lot going across and ignoring the path they're supposed to be taking. And this was their this was their innovation network specifically with the question to zero in on who, you know, basically, who are you going to with your ideas and development ideas? And so they were bypassing the, pro the process. And when I showed this, the, the, the director of this product development team stood up and he said, I am the bottleneck. <laughs> and, and as it turned out, he was because there's actually five people, only five people in this group. There's only four on the map. That means the other one is not even doing his job, basically. And they're all but one of them are management level people. So the CEO on the spot said, we are doubling your group and we are fixing this. And he looked at other parts of the organization, used some of my other data, and literally made an organizational uh, structure change from this. Now, from a weaving perspective, um, that would be, you know, you could use something like this or you could, you know, basically say, OK, how do we repair this? Now, the CEO already made that decision. But, you know, if you had a situation similar to this, then I could help you with understanding, OK, how do we how do we improve this? How do we solve this problem? Thank you very much for that. Linda, and let's go back to you. So. In in looking because I work with smaller companies, is there you know that are that are scaling and growing and and so forth? Is there an aspirational network to 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 think about as you're growing and and developing your processes and communication systems and and training and education, all those kinds of things? Is there something that you um, would say think consider these as you grow and and train people and and work with them what's the what's the ideal we're going for or is there one is it specific to every company and organization you yes you could um now i don't know how small you mean by small but there is a floor to this i need at least 25 people to really make the metrics work uh so if it's an organization smaller than that i really don't think it's that useful but 
let's say it's 100 people. And I do often ask an aspirational question, and I call it the bridge network. So a question like, um, who would you like to work with more to um, get your job done or develop more expertise or gain more information about a project? I mean, you can design it any way you want, but it's that aspirational and then you can use that to basically say, okay, we've already got a list of who these people want to work with. Let's do that. You know, let's team them up. And thank you for that. Jeremy, let's go back to you. We've been looking a lot at, at these really webby yarn <laughs> type type maps. So I wanted to bring up one that is um, less busy so that you can explain because looking at more of the micro level so i want to bring this one up and i recall the background on this do you want to speak to this one it's a, it's a little more digestible and what we're looking at if you're listening to the podcast we're looking at maybe what looks like a typical mind map where you've got um, different colored squares all the same size and you've got one particular square uh, number 26 they're all they're numbered in the very middle and you've got your typical looking of a mind map where you have your lines and then your nodes and then your lines going out from those particular nodes so that's what we're looking at visually here and the different uh colors of the squares represent whether or not it's a, a programmer systems analyst manager or an architect deb i'll turn it over to you yeah again you know the story behind it really is what helps you understand the data. And, and that's all described, of course, in the book. But this, the short version of this is that the CIO actually was suffering from um, what he considered high turnover for his organization. And they were going through some changes and, and different things happening. And I he asked me to do this around the time that they also did their engagement survey. And uh, when I met with him, as I mentioned, he was having turnover. Um, this one was their work network. And so you can see number 26. If you just imagine taking 26 out, now you have different groups of people, but no connection to each other. And so that node, that person was holding the whole network together with her, it happened to be a female, uh, with her skills, abilities, whatever. She was a key person in their organization, in their network. And when I showed the CIO this map, before I got a chance to explain it, he said to me, I just had a resignation, of significant re resignation. I said, well, who is it? And they told me who it was, and I knew who 26 was. And I said, oh, then you need to look at this. And it happened to be known 26. And she had just resigned. And so visually, obviously, he got it. He understand this is going to affect my team. It's going to affect um, our ability to communicate and so on. And he said, so now what do I do? And I said, well, is, I mean, is it a done deal that she's leaving or is there? And he goes, nope, she's leaving. And I said, okay, well, why don't you um, ask her if she would stay maybe an extra week or two? And I can tell you, or you can see it here, but I can help you with that. Um, who are her strongest connections? And she can do a knowledge transfer to those people. And then you need to get those people 
to communicate with each other. And so you can build your network back and, and you can't stop the impact, but you can mitigate the risk. Thank you for that. Rich, let's go to you. I love the stories. Like that just puts it all into context, right? So thank you very much for that. Um, there were three little work groups there of analyst programmers that were not connected to anything. Can you explain those? Yeah. It Again, these show up uh, quite frequently. And again, context. So those particular ones were working on special projects. And so it didn't seem to bother them that they were disconnected. It was kind of like they were isolated and that was expected to happen. Of course, getting back to, you know, when I start, that looks like a red flag to me. And so I always ask questions around it. Um, in this particular case, it wasn't. Now I have other ones that are a little bit more concerning. And so I helped them figure out, okay, you don't want to leave these people over here. Let's get them connected and here's how you do that. And that's the weaving part that we're talking about today. And Jeremy, back to you. Deb, one thing that comes to mind, so she ended up staying for a little bit so she could help with uh, basically some of her, her own offboarding because she was that main connector point, node 26. Right. The question is, and you're an absolute expert in Hogan, I know because I've worked with you, is there, what would, what would you say in terms of hiring a course of action would be? Would there be a suggestion there to hire someone and use some, uh, you know, Hogan, whatever, you know, a comparable assessment for someone who has the personality type and lacks the potential derailers to come in and have this connector ability? What would your suggestion be in terms of replacing that individual? Well, to me, that's two different questions. So um, there has been research done, and I've attempted to do some of it, to find out, is there any significant value of personality connected to some of these, what I call network roles? So like a gatekeeper, um, what I call a pulse taker, or a hub. And believe it or not, personality affects their ability to develop these network roles only about 20%. So it, it isn't a key influencer. What I've uncovered is that someone who, a common personality trait, extroversion. And oftentimes I use this to help them with their succession planning, and I'll bring up my list of who I would recommend in their succession planning process. And it may overlap about 25%. And when I gave my list to an HR person one time and commented, and they said to me, um, well, I don't see this person. I don't think, I don't agree with your list. I don't think they're that significant because I really don't see them interacting. Well, they're reacting to the external behaviors of the hub. And just because they're extroverted and communicate or interact with people a lot doesn't necessarily mean they turn out to be a hub or a key influencer. And there's people under the radar, those are the pulse takers, that oftentimes can be an introvert, but they're the go-to people who hold a lot of the um intellectual knowledge of the organization, but they're under the radar and they're not as obvious to the organization. 
which is why this diagnostic to me was so valuable. Anything else, Jeremy? Yeah, I do. And being mindful of time, we've got five minutes left. I want to pull up yet one more. Um, Rich, you made a good point. The stories behind these are absolutely fascinating. So I want to pull up this one here. Uh, one of the comments, where was it down here? One of the individuals said, I'm up, the question was around strategy. And, and he said, I'm upset that you say we don't dis discuss strategy because based on your interpretation of these maps, that's what the takeaway was. And for the podcast listeners, quick, we, we're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, we're looking at about seven squares here. Uh, and these are each different companies. Um, Deb, correct me if I'm wrong. This was an organization that had, um, I think, five separate companies. So you've got these different squares. And within these particular squares, you've got a separate network map. And then between these squares, you've got some lines going to and fro, Tom, that show exactly who's communicating and where. So, um, Deb, within a couple minutes, do you want to take a um, uh, share your insights on this? Yeah, and this is the same company uh, that showed that intern that I did that one communication on. This same company. So these different um, operating companies and a same CEO, and he was struggling with these. There's presidents in each of these operating companies, and they have different um, offering services and products, uh, even though they're one enterprise. And he's a very visionary kind of thinker, and he really wanted to develop an enterprise-wide strategy going forward. And he's really struggling with it. They were resisting, and they all you know, had their own ideas around it, couldn't get anywhere. And this is this plays on that turning intuition into science. So his intuition was that they they were off on their own in their organizations, but they weren't sharing it. And so I validated his intuition through this map because you can see that within their own organizations, they are communicating about strategy. This is the strategy map. And so the question was around, you know, basically where are you uh, discussing strategy with. And the company C, the green one, was the individual that Jeremy was pointing out. So I went through this whole thing and I basically said, based on this, you are not sharing strategy across the organization and across the enterprise. And in particular, if you look at the green one, there's one connection and he's actually connected to the CEO only. And a lot of these guys are only talking, or the presidents of the company are the ones crossing the boundaries to the corporate services, but they're not talking to each other. You see, Green doesn't talk to any of the other operating companies. And so he stood up, he was in the back of the room, he stood up, as Jeremy said, he was very angry. And he said, you know, I'm really upset that you're saying we're not sharing strategy. And I said, well, who are you? And he said, you know, I'm company C. I said, well, you are within your own organization, but you're not sharing it across the organization. So in my mind, you're losing all kinds of opportunities for revenue because you're going off this way and this guy's going off this way and you're not coming, you're not aligned. You need alignment in your direction of this company. And the, the CEO was absolutely elated 
because he walked up to me afterwards and whispered in my ear, that's what I wanted to get across. So the data was pretty tough for them to ignore. Well, and with that, Jeremy, uh, we are pretty much out of time. I'm, I'm, I think we going to have to have Deborah back. I think we could probably go for at least another hour. I know I've got about two or three more questions just percolating in my mind. Uh, but thank you very much, Deborah. This has been really informative. Uh, and once again, do you want to give us the title of the book and where we can get it? Turning Intuition into Science, Harnessing the Power of Organizational Network Analysis. And it's on Amazon. Love me some Amazon. Uh, Jeremy, what we got coming up? Tom, first, you 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 ask every every um, every episode, why hire an IO psychologist? <laughs> and I think we uncovered I don't know, a couple thousand reasons today. So this has been the best answer to to all of that. Um, coming up, of course, every Monday we have our IO psychology job seeker meetup at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, free open event. CBOC members momentum session is next Tuesday. Ooh, uh, Linda Ann, I wonder if you're going. Edgewater, Colorado, in-person CBOC Rocky Mountain Regional Meetup on January 30th. Ooh, January 31st, Keep and Drive Alive monthly post three-day event gathering uh, from our uh, August three-day event, following up continually on that. Our theme for February is pro-social slash pro-bono IO psychology. Lauren Offerman will be taking my place for those particular events. And we have uh, why is it and, and what is it and why. We've got voices from the field, strategies and approaches, and navigating that IO psychology pro-bono, pro-social terrain. So all of those events are up on the site Wonderful. We went a little off uh, our our standard way of doing this, and we had visuals today, which we can never have because of copyright issues. But Dr. Peck graciously allowed us to share some of those visuals, which I think was an absolute treat. I know we all want more of those. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next week. Special thanks to Dr. Deborah Peck. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.